All right, so there's a outline, 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 outline from last week right there. Um, so uh, this week we're gonna kind of just kind of review a little bit. If you guys want to grab one of the outlines from last week, that is right there. Um, otherwise, so this week we're gonna kind of go over some of what we talked about the last two weeks, real briefly, um, and then look at some um, some numbers related to like. Um, Gen Z teens and church attendance or opinion of church and that kind of stuff. Um, but also just want to kind of hear your thoughts on what we've talked about so far. Um, and I have a big piece of paper if any of you have any great ideas for me to write down. So um, it should be good. So just starting off, I'm going to turn off this. All right, so um, the first week we talked about the forces that are shaping Gen Z. Um, this is just the things that Barna identified in the study as things that really impact um, the way Gen Z works and views the world. So the first one is just the amount of screen time they have. We talked about how like half of them, half of the Gen Z teenagers um, interviewed spend more than four hours um, looking at a screen every day. Um, so then their post-Christian worldview, um, which is not really a Gen Z, like, their thing, but it's, like, the way our culture is moving, um, that our culture in general has a little bit, um, a lot less focus on, um, like, Christian education. So whereas most, like, millennials and Gen X and people before that would have grown up with some knowledge of um, Christianity um, or stories about Jesus, um, generally speaking for Gen Z, that's not the case and that's not as given they're they're not as likely to hear that from culture um as previous generations so then safe spaces we talked about that um that's a that's a good practice that was kind of come up with that sort of in gen z maybe is is being amplified to an unhealthy level sometimes to where we talked about um disagreement of any kind is viewed as bad like you can't share opposing opinions um, with people because it's offensive and it might hurt their feelings. So uh, next one, real safety is a myth. Um, the world in the future is dangerous. Um, so lots of factors play into here, but this is just a thing that comes up with Gen Z is that they don't look at the future with a, with a hopeful eye. They look at it with a sort of terrified, like everything's bad kind of thing. And, there's a lot of things that go into that, like the economic crisis in 2008. Um, and really, like, if you, like, even, like, just thinking through this for myself, I was thinking about how, like, there's this thing out there that people say about Social Security running out and, you know, like, you're going to have to work until you die. So um, I was just thinking about that the other day. And then also um, environmental things, like, you probably hear way more often now than you used to that, the world is like going to be a wasteland in 10 years because of the way we're doing stuff. So all of that would be really terrifying for a teenager who's thinking about growing up and they're like, wait a minute, but we've destroyed the world and there's no money and we're all going to be hungry. So um, that's that one. Diversity. This is the most diverse generation um, in American history, I guess. Um in 2015, the kindergarten class that entered was 
um, a higher percentage non-white or, or <coughs> my, minority um, than it was white. And so that's a, that's a first-time shift, um, which definitely impacts the way. And that's not just race, but also in ideas. Um, Gen Z is pretty comfortable sharing differing ideas and being friends with people with differing ideas, which contradicts like the safe spaces thing a little bit. But they're like, I'll be friends with people that are different than me, but maybe we shouldn't talk about how we're different. So um, double-minded parenting is the last one. Um, Barna suggests that maybe um, parents of Gen Z are both overprotective in some of the wrong ways and underprotective in some of the right ways. Um, some of the main ones that they, they hit on there was just like being underprotective when it comes to teenagers and, and Gen Z use of technology. Um, which is actually what we're going to talk about next week when I'm gone. Right, Steve? Okay, cool. So Steve's going to share some info about, um, I guess, being protective in the right ways um, on the electronic devices because there's a lot of stuff that can happen through that that um, none of us experienced growing up. Um, All right, and then last week we talked about um, how Gen Z finds identity. Um, And the top one would be sexuality and gender. Um, to them, figuring out what and who they are in that sense is one of the biggest, like, most important things. Um, we talked about um, some statistics. That's all in your outline, too, and I don't remember any of it. So, <laughs> um, But there's a lot about um, birth, birth sex not defining gender among Gen Z. Um, they generally think, um, or they generally are not willing to say very boldly either way but they also said um um, engaged christian teens um, were more willing to um say something black and white about gender um than the rest of gen z Um, and engaged christians i should have put that thing up again um, because it'll come up again today but engaged christians is christians who identify as christian and have attended church within the last six months and who say these four things um are important to their lives. So if you have one of those outlines, you can just look at it and it's on there. <laughs> um, uh, next, friends and neighbors shape them a lot, um, which is kind of true of every generation, I think. Um, teenage friends and friendships influence teenagers. So um, yeah, and most of their friends come from school or extracurricular activities from school or sports. Um, Goals and priorities, Gen Z is is motivated by financial success. They view the key to happiness as financial and educational success. Um, and they kind of, like most of their goals and priorities would fall in into the realm of like career, um, career advancement rather than like personal development and relationships. That seems to be where most of their priorities are um, when they were asked in the survey. Um, next, mora- morality and values, and um, we're having a shift in, in our culture towards um, sort of, what is it called, moral relativism. And so that's, that's kind of how Gen, Gen Z tends to see things. We saw last week that only 34% of Gen Z teens that were interviewed, and that's all of them, um, think that lying is morally wrong. Um, there's some other ones, and in, in, in all of them, the percentage that say we had a generational comparison and that's also in there. Um, the percentage that say that X or Y or Z is morally wrong 
is is way less in Gen Z than all the other ones. And it's also less in millennials. And then previously than that, it's less in Gen X. And then, so there's just a decline in being willing to say, whether or not you think it, but being willing to say something is morally wrong. Um, and there's probably some, some good reasons for that. Um, but also um, what they found in the study is that church-going teens, which is not the same as engaged um, Christian teens, but church-going teens is teens who go to church but maybe don't agree with the statements and maybe don't go as often and don't feel quite as committed. Um, and they, they had several examples where that segment, their, their statement about morality and faith was that, hey, as long as you live a good, good life and you have good intentions, that's really all you need. Um, so that's, that was, to me, that was the biggest thing <laughs> that I was concerned about because I felt like um, if, if kids are coming to our building um, and engaging with us um, and coming away with the idea that Christianity is about being a good person um, or having good intentions, I think we might be communicating things poorly. So um, with that, um, we'll take a look at some numbers related to um, parents, kind of like what parents are talking about with their teens, um, what they feel equipped to talk about, what they feel unequipped to talk about. Um, there's one that was a survey for youth ministers about um, some of that stuff, but we'll get into that. But any thoughts or questions about what we've reviewed so far? Yeah. I did a nice shirt, by the way. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I kind of, you know, this week in, in camp, I was surrounded by lots of Gen Zs and Z 2.0 or whatever you call it. Yeah. And so I just kind of paid attention to some of this stuff from time to time just to see. And I got mixed results because there's yeah. some kids that are very conservative minded the way they're brought up and stuff. And they're like, wow, did you see that? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, they aren't from where you're from. Right. Right. I mean, they came up in a lot of different ways. We have no idea where they're from, you know, as far as the way they've been raised and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and but it was interesting to see how some of them were very fit the mold of what the data shows. And yeah. Some of them weren't, and then some of them would be in certain areas and not the others. Right. For sure. you know, yeah. And it was like even some of the. You know, like the cowboy kids from Craig or whatever would sit there and go, man, I just wish I had my iPad. <laughs> yeah. You know, or whatever. And I was like, whoa. That's you weird, know? huh? But it was interesting to see. Yeah. And, and to actually be able to be surrounded by, we were the minority in a sense, being over 20. And yeah. to see what was going on. You know, mm-hmm. and, but then as the week went on, I, I mean, you know this, but... They quit missing their electronics and stuff yeah. so much and started relying on each other more. Yeah. And that's when real friendships were created. And, and that. Yeah. And that's a really good point, too. Like, so this, like, all of this is not like, this is a cookie cutter for what kids look like. It's like, this is some things that are happening that are probably impacting kids. And that's what Seth's pointing out. And also, um, I mentioned this, I think, in week one, but like, Teenagers, in my experience, and, and younger kids crave time away from screens, but they don't know it. Like, they love the time that they get just connecting.
but it takes them so long to get there um, and, it, and it has to be kind of forced. And so the more, the more you can give your kids that time, like say, like even if you have to do it in a sneaky way, like we're going to go on a camping trip for a week, you know, and we're not bringing in a DVD player or we're not bringing in an iPad. You know, that's a good way to like start showing your kids. Cause like all of this stuff is data about kids who are still living at home for the most part. Um, which means like, and that's partially why we're having this class, like to talk about like, you know, what are some of the things that we're seeing in just the unchecked like movement of Gen Z and how can we help them to develop as healthier people and, and a stronger faith. Um, so yeah, and, and Seth's absolutely right. That, that group of kids was so committed to caring for each other that I was like, that's all like, that's my takeaway from the week at camp. Honestly, I was amazed at how, how well they exemplified what the church should be at the age of like eight, you know, eight to 12 or whatever. Um, so they were just like the whole week they were spending, you know, taking care of each other, taking care of the babies that were there, taking care of the pre-campers. Um, and, and it was real and it was not forced. None of us told them to do that stuff. You know, they just kind of went into that and were taking care of each other. So, um, yeah. This is the first um, kind of graph. I'll give you a minute to look at it about some of the things that parents say. And this is all among engaged Christian parents. Um, so things that are very important and somewhat important. Um, the most important thing that they say, engaged Christian parents, is that their kid develops a faith that lasts into their adulthood. Um, is it, and then next is equipped to explain the Christian faith. Um, next engages in service, has a consistent quiet time, able to integrate their faith into their vocation or career, um, and attends a Christian college. And this one, I think, I think we should talk about more at some point, but, um, like, cause I think sometimes we think that integrating your faith into your career means you have to be like, uh, a minister or like a counselor or something like that, where like, it's an obvious connection, um, but I think integrating your faith into your career is just like something that we all learn. And I think most of you that, I've, that I know who, who don't have a career that lends itself to that maybe, I have already seen integrating your faith into your career. So um, I think sharing that with your kids is how you, how you make that one happen. But what do you guys think about that? Would you agree that those are some things that you generally would say are important? Would you add anything to that list? with the exception of attending a Christian college, the all of them, the ones following the most important to parents, are mm -hmm. what actually makes the faith last, yeah. in my opinion, yeah. an example. So you can't disregard any of those things right. if that's what your main goal is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, attending a Christian college, I think they only put that in there to show how, how low it is mm -hmm. in importance. And I would generally agree. Like, I went to a Christian college... Um, but I think like maybe, maybe in the past, like when my parents went to the same Christian college, that was a good way to like, um, safety net your kids, but I don't think it really is. Um, like I think if you want to choose to like explore life and do your crazy things at a Christian college, you can do that too. So yeah. Any other thoughts about that? Yeah. Scripture to their lives. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
I think that that would be one that's. Is that integrated in the script to explain the Christian faith? They might. Yeah, they might be. Yeah. So equipped to explain the Christian faith, I'm not really sure what that one means. But I definitely would say like being able to apply scripture because that's something too that I see a lot um, in teenagers is that they like they can read scripture or they even know the things that they're supposed to say, but they don't really understand how it intersects with their life. Um, and that's a that's a difficult but also kind of easy thing to teach kids, I think, which is one of I think that's a class in like four weeks we're gonna talk about Deuteronomy six. Um, and how, like, the more you talk about scripture and faith and applying it to your life outside of this building, the more your kids are going to develop that. Yeah. So how many of us do these things? Because with parenting, it's, I, I find that so many times I'm like, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. Because it is so hard for me to find consistent quiet time. Yeah. I, I try to have a service attitude, but, like, actually taking the time <laughs> yeah. to serve, I mean, like, and I, I just feel like... It sounds great on paper, but mm-hmm. unless we're providing the example, yeah. I mean, like, it's just a pipe train. That's exactly right, yeah. And uh, the somebody at some point who does research said that your, your kids will be a little bit less of what you are. So if, you, you know, if you're, like, a really engaged, like, committed Christian, your kids will just be a little bit less than that. And that's not always the rule, Um because there's definitely exceptions, but um, without intentionality, that's kind of the way things go. Um, And also, there was another thought I had related to that. Yep, I forgot it. We'll move on. Um, So this is another thing, topics parents have discussed with teens, um, and it's kind of small, so I'll read it for you. The first one's Christian perspectives on current events at 60%. Which I thought that was kind of interesting, like, because kids go to school and they have like a social studies class where for 10 minutes in the day they talk about current events and they're just like with their peers and their teacher talking about what this thing that's happening in the world means. Um, but I like, I, I'm not a parent. I don't know if you guys do this, but I thought that was a great idea for like getting, you know, your faith outside of its own like little box, right? <laughs> this is a good way to integrate your faith with your life and what's happening in the world. Um, but so that's, so 60% of the parents that responded um, said that they had talked about um, Christian perspectives on current events with their kids. Um, the next one, um, biblical perspectives on sexuality and marriage. It's 52% of parents. Then um, healthy consumption of pop culture or media, 41%. Historical evidence of Jesus' life, ministry, death, and resurrection, biblical perspectives on gender issues, 40%. Um, Christian perspectives on poverty and social justice issues, 37. Science in the Bible, 36. Origins of the Bible, um, like so historical context, um, 29%. Integrating a life of faith into their chosen career, 24%. That kind of mirrors the other one. Um, Discerning God's will and college choice, 16%. And then none of the above, 13%. So what about this list? Any of those that you have not talked about with your kids or that you don't, um, or you have, and ideas on how that went or the effectiveness of that? I find it interesting. Colleges at the bottom again. Yeah. But I find it interesting from the perspective that a lot of times Christians are 
the, the fundamental aspect of Christianity is finding people that are broken, that don't have it all together. Yeah. And uh, typically, folks that go to college and set things on higher side rely on themselves more. Yeah. Which leans away from the fundamentals of Christianity to mm-hmm. like this on yourself and more on God. Yeah. And so I find it interesting that people may not in Christianity circles are not finding college important. Yeah. In general. Yeah. Or at least not finding it that it relates to their faith mm-hmm. so much. Maybe mm-hmm. that might be what that says. Mm-hmm. But I do think like with that one, like whatever the percentage of you would hope that discerning God's will in blank would be sort of like the top of the list for what parents have talked mm-hmm. with their kids about, right? Exactly. And especially since last week you were talking about the finishing their education was at the top of their list. Yeah. So like... Yeah. If mm-hmm. that is at the top of their list, then whatever direction they decide to go, yeah, whether it's Christian, whether it's not, whether it's you know mm-hmm. um, going to do a specific career, like it should be right higher. Yeah, and and at least like thinking about like how is God wanting to use me in my college years, right? Yeah, Sarah. Um, looking at last week's class, I think the that financial independence was really high at the one what they wanted to do by age mm-hmm. 30. And so maybe, I'm just thinking maybe they think that if it's, if it's not, like, that they care more about money than something that's yeah. faith-driven. Um, yeah. Well, and that is, like, the, the number one thing that students look at today when they're picking a college is how much debt they're going to have when they graduate. So, so that's a big like part of that. Being a minister or something, they're yeah. like, you know, why, why are all that debt? Right, but this is before college. This is just what parents are talking with their kids about. And it could be that fewer kids are expressing an interest in going to college right off the bat. So parents are like, well, we're not going to talk about that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be an incomplete list for sure. I'm, I'm just sort of startled by how low all these numbers are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I'm just kind of shocked. I mean, this is a percentage among engaged Christian parents, Mm -hmm. people who are going to church consistently, engaged in church, outside of church, like, you know. Yeah. And these numbers are low. Yeah. Really? But they were also in 2016. Yeah, that's when the whole study was done 2016 through 18. So, to piggyback on that comment that Angela just made, because I have the same thought, it was like just over half of us are talking about what God would think about, about these current events and stuff. And that's, yeah. that seems really low to me. Um, but part of me wonders if, you know, there's been a trend in recent years for parents to kind of pass off the Christian education to the kids to youth ministries and children mm-hmm. ministries and, and yeah. not really take it on at home. And I wonder if these numbers reflect that. I, I would say that I've felt a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and this next slide I think will also give some something to this <laughs> um, whatever it's a, it's been a long week <laughs> so I, I went through the average of my watch like telling me how many hours a day I was standing up and it was like 16 and a half hours every day <laughs> last week so um, and there's still only 24 hours in the week in Wyoming so um, no yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you get it. 
my words speak enough for me. Okay, so this one I think reflects a little bit of the last one in some ways, but um, topics parents feel unprepared to discuss with their teens among engaged Christians. So first, protecting your teen from harmful influences. That's super interesting, 27%. Um, navigating social media or technology use, 24%. Feel unprepared. Um, answering tough questions about Christianity, God, or the Bible, 20%. And just let me pause on that one for a minute because I would say I also feel pretty unprepared to answer tough questions on God, Christianity, and the Bible. Um, and I think something that Gen Z really appreciates or that I've noticed that teenagers really appreciate is that you're honest, that you say, I have no idea. <laughs> like That's a really difficult thing that you just asked me, and I'm not really sure. Um, so how about we like try to figure it out together. Um, Which is also a great example when mm -hmm. they feel like they can't yeah. be honest ever for yeah. them to see an adult saying, I don't know. Yeah. You know? Right. It's, it makes a big deal. I apologize because I think my kid is one of the tough questions. <laughs> <laughs> they all, they all have their moments. <laughs> they all have their moments. And yeah. Yeah. Just recently at camp, someone like one of the teens was like, "Hey, I want to study the Bible more. Can we like, can you help me like get, get some motivation to do that every day?" And I was like, "Sure. How about after camp we start reading a book of the Bible together, and then we'll do it on the mission trip?" And and this teen was like, and I was like, "What book do you want to do?" And she's like, "Song of Solomon." And I was like, "Oh, cool." <laughs> so that's what we're going to be discussing on the mission trip. Uh, yeah. It'll be fun. <laughs> Next time it won't be so open-ended. Yeah. 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 Um, it'll be great. So the next one, um, balancing allowing your team to have freedom with having rules and expectations. 20% feel unprepared to discuss that with their teens. Um, and I can see that because that's a difficult, a difficult thing to talk about with your teen. So. This actually is perfect because parents all of a sudden – you, you get married, and then all of a sudden these kids show up. And you totally feel How? Equipped. How does that work? <laughs> so I'm just saying things. Okay. But, um, but no, seriously, parents don't really know what they're doing. Yeah. It's like, um, it, it kind of reflects along. And this is a big driving factor of discussions we were having five years ago, because there was nothing preparing parents yeah. for that. And I think that's why MOPT is such a huge success and mm -hmm. different things is that there just seems like we have less emphasis on being prepared yeah. as parents and parenting to be more proactive. Yeah. And we're falling out a little bit from the over-preparedness of maybe my parenting. Yeah. A little bit. Probably. <laughs> Following along with that, I was curious if, this, if they split up the parents from generations like is it generation x is it baby boomers is it so um, this millennials? yeah so this should be parents of gen z which is going to be a mix of gen x, x and, and millennials. millennials but it's not very many millennials so it's mostly gen x and a couple millennials yeah yes do you, do you think that um i'm looking at the the unprepared <clears throat> feeling um whatever uh it, it could be a lot of us have not the most stellar parent examples. Yeah, and Gen so, X is pretty, um, not not like to say anything about any of your parents, but Gen X is like stereotypically sort of like latchkey kids, you know, yeah, like, like uninvolved our, parents. A lot of our parents were in that like kind of hippie generation that was like, oh, freedom, just yeah. do whatever you want to do because we don't have any rules for you. 
yeah, that's like a lot of a lot of the generational studies tend to like show that there's this pendulum that swings from one end to the other, and we can never find the middle that's a good balance um, in those things. And that's a you know that's a difficult thing for parents to figure out. Yeah. See, and I've seen the middle because I my mom was a Christian. I grew up through the church, mm-hmm. but I also had my father's side, which didn't care about God. Yeah. So I, I grew up in both. So mm-hmm. what's funny is I see. This, my percentage would be higher of what I would talk to my teen about yeah. than the Christian view. Right. Of because of how I grew up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Huh. Actually, I think <laughs> you make a good I point. Mm-hmm. I do think as, as Christians, like having grown up with this stuff, it might be easier to, if, if you grew up just kind of like with parents who did talk with you about this stuff, just to think, oh, yeah, they'll, they'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um. But if you grew up with also a parent who was far on the other end, you know, that you might feel more urgency to talk about some of these things, right? Um, And that's, I think that's generally something that we see in Christianity, like not talking about parenting at all. But um, I think most of us have probably met somebody who came to faith late in life with a really rough story. And they're the ones who are generally like, just like talking left and right about their faith, you know. And some of us who grew up in the church may not have that same motivation. Well, and I don't know that it's necessarily a motivation thing as much as it's an exposure thing. Yeah. Um, because, you know, as a parent that did not grow up in the church, you know, I have seen a whole lot of human behavior that many people in this room have not seen. Yeah. You know, and so, like, mm-hmm. I do talk about things with my kids. In fact, Colton has told me once, he's like, you are painfully open. Yeah. Open nose. <laughs> and um, you know, and it's awkward for them, but at the same time, like they come to me and will talk to me yeah. about these things that come up. You know, I mean they're still kids. It's still awkward. Right. It's still, you know, not the easiest conversations to have. Mm-hmm. But I think that you know, those of us that have maybe not been exposed to some of the things that are out there in the world. Yeah. I mean, if you don't know about it, you don't know what you don't know. You know, and so you can't talk about it if you don't know about it. Right. So then moving to the next few, discussing sexuality, which we've kind of hit on a little bit. 20% feel unprepared. Uh, discussing, sp- discussing spiritual and moral relativism, 15% feel unprepared. Um, talking about and engaging with current issues, which... Uh, that should be 40% compared to the other slide. <laughs> but um, teaching your teen the foundational beliefs of Christianity, 14%. And then none of the above, 43%. Um, and my guess is that probably not a lot of parents want to admit. I don't know. I've never been a parent. But I would guess that it's hard to admit that you feel unprepared to talk about things that your kids need to talk about. Um, but I do, like, I do want to ask without trying to embarrass or expose anyone, if any of these are things that you feel unprepared to talk about, or if there are others that you like, that you feel like you need more preparation to talk about, and I'm going to write those down. And that might be whether or not we have time for it in this class. Um, at some point we'll have a class where we can talk about some of those things. So any of those that, yeah. So probably the hardest one for me is usually something like, maybe the, the sexuality thing mm-hmm. or something like that because a lot of times the generation seems to have a different feeling about it than I do. Right. So if I say, well, this is black and white, mm-hmm. they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But, you know, 
Yeah. Aren't they all children of God? It's like, well, yeah, but, you know. Right. So somewhere where I stand, mm-hmm. it's hard to talk to them about something that I feel strongly about, and maybe they don't feel strongly yeah. about. And it becomes, well, that's just, you know, a jerk or something like that, versus we can have a healthy conversation For about sure. it because I say that's wrong. Yeah. Or that's right. Right. And, and they think, well, it's a little more gray than that. And mm-hmm. like, mm, you know, or what, depending right. on what it is. Yeah. But I mean, that's just one that I can think of right offhand where I feel very strongly this way, mm-hmm. and maybe they don't because of what they've been exposed yeah. to. Yep. Cheryl had her hand up first. Well, this, Sorry. This follows <laughs> Seth, and it follows something at camp, too, yeah. that you were talking about at one of the uh, stations. But it's that sinus thing. Yeah. And so um, some of the bigger churches, um, you might go to church and check it off your list, and um, they'll make you really happy that you attended, and it's very seeker-friendly, and we love you, and then you go home and you do what you want to do. And so the big thing is, yes, God loves you, but there's sin. Right. Sin is sin. Yeah, and that that's the thing. Like, Gen Z really struggles with saying definitively, yes, this is wrong, yes, this is right. Um, like, even, like, without, like, knowing this data beforehand in a class, I just said, like, what's one, one thing that you know for sure is wrong to do? And I, like, five minutes of crickets, and then finally I was like, please, somebody. Like, and then the same thing was on the other end. Like, what's one thing that is absolutely a good, right thing to do? And it was still, like, difficult for them to say something. So, yeah. Yeah, I've had that exact conversation with two guys running a lawn care business in Ohio. Yeah. Uh, two guys, separate occasions, completely different. I had no idea that we had the same conversation about the same age, a couple of years younger than me. And we, I don't know how the conversation started, but it was, you know, they knew I was a Christian and kind of my beliefs on things. Yeah. And that exact uh, conversation came up, and it got to the point where I asked them both, okay, let's go to just the, the end. Is mm-hmm. murder wrong? Yeah. And they were both like, for me? It, for me? Right. Yes. <laughs> it I depends. Yeah. Else. There's some it's situations. Like, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, the same crazy. exact thing happened in that teen class. Yeah. yeah. That exact thing. I find the tough questions about Christianity yeah, yeah. to be a hard one because I often don't know all of the yeah. And I think it's because my kiddo asks really hard questions. And um, that one, that, I mean, you know, when you talk about stuff like the question of pain, the problem of pain, or of suffering, things like mm-hmm. that, when the, and they start questioning that, and I'm so glad that my dead wall should still have our spirit influence. Mm-hmm. But um, like those questions can be hard because I don't always know the answer. And I don't know if any of us will know some of the answers to that in life. And teenagers want to know the answer yeah. now. And right. that one's hard because it's hard sometimes for them to be patient yeah. with the answer and with us. And to be, be okay with not knowing. Mm-hmm. And to be okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why didn't, why didn't my 10-year-old friend die of cancer? Yeah. Ugh. Right. right. So exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I think those can be some of the really hard questions just because we don't always know yeah. ourselves or and maybe won't know. Yeah. Because Some of those. Teaches that yeah. There are things you yeah. don't have. No. Yeah. And that's part of applying scripture to your life, like what you said. We better be ready in our own life to be yeah. able to that, That's an interesting thing Chrissy brings up because there was a big movement of apologetics back in the 2000s. And apologetics were really mm-hmm. bombed out and people really got disinvited by it because mm-hmm. they felt like we were reasoning our faith, yeah. building our faith. 
And I think we're now seeing a, the shift away from that so mm-hmm. far that um, there's a nervousness in to, to provide those explanations to yeah. apologetics to explain the situation. I would say that that's kind like that's more uh, an amplified issue in the Church of Christ specifically mm-hmm. that we we tend to focus a lot on knowledge, um, and so that kind of like sets up this unintended consequence of if you don't know, your faith is not real, you know, um, and I think not knowing um, is evidence of faith, you know, not knowing but trusting um, in some in some cases I think we should always continue to like pursue that answer and that knowledge. And, and just for you guys who are looking right now, the Bible project has the YouTube channel and like, that's always my cheat code for all of this. <laughs> like there's su- such great, um, explanations and they're engaging. Um, and that's how I've helped explain that to the teens and they love YouTube. So <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. I just said, looking at these, I, I think combining the first one, protecting your team from harmful influences, and combining that with balancing, allowing your team to have freedom and rules and expectations. Yeah. Just realizing, I'd like to just hear what, what uh, I guess some good wisdom would be on just finding how do I let my kid experience freedom? And we're, our kids are young, mm-hmm. but how do I let them experience freedom in some of the little things so that they don't feel like... You know the chains are cut at 18 years old, and they can go do whatever they want because they've never been able to have that freedom. Right. So. Yeah. I uh. Yep. Years ago, one of my coworkers had a daughter that was in her teens, and he was telling me that she had watched this certain movie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Why did you let her watch that movie?" It's like, "Well, if I tell her no, she'll just watch it somewhere else." Yeah. It's like, "Yeah, you're right. She probably will." But if you tell her no. And she watches it somewhere else. At least she knows that you did not approve, and she made that conscious decision to disobey you, like mm-hmm. you played your video game, right? Right. You knew you weren't supposed to play a certain game at your friend's house because yeah. they had different rules and expectations. Yeah. And so, letting your kids know, hey, this is not okay. And if you choose to do this behind my back, just know that someday I'll probably find out. And I know where you sleep. But I mean, seriously, we all did stuff that we knew we weren't supposed to do. And some people take it harder than others, but you knew in your heart you weren't supposed to be doing it. Yeah. And at least they know, hey, I was not supposed to be doing that. Yeah. And, you know, and it, and the scary part is when they get comfortable doing stuff they know they're not supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's when it goes down. Yeah. Well, in any of these issues, whether some are easy for us or some are not, you know, we need discernment. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because I'm like him in being black and white. I, I will be black and white in every one of these issues. That doesn't mean I'm right. Yeah. Just because of how I am. But, right. So that's yeah. what we need as parents. Yeah. And to the ability to teach your kids discernment, right? Uh-huh. Which I feel like can be difficult. I, you know, like, I would imagine if, you're, if your kid has a question... Um, and maybe like you have an opinion on like what's right, but you're not totally sure that's actually the right thing to do. You know, it probably is harder to let them to, to like guide them through the process of, of discerning what's right and wrong than it is to just tell them the answer, you know, like, um, but like filling out your kid's homework isn't going to help them learn, um, same way that, 
telling them what's the right answer all the time isn't going to probably help them grow in that. Um, but yeah, those are all really good ones. And I've got like five. If Do any of you have others that you feel like you would want to, or if they're not on this list, things, yeah. Absolutely. Um, because if we're not doing that, like if all we're doing is posting our opinion on whatever and then fighting about it mm-hmm. with people that we can't even see, um, they're going to do the same thing. And I think that kind of correlates with some of the stuff that, you know, they'll be friends with people who are different than them, but they won't talk about things. And I think that is partly because of what we have created. Yeah. You know, like we've created this you know, social media yeah. type thing where, yeah, let's talk about it on social media, but not in person. Right. That's too weird. And last night, when I, when I got home after a week of not really looking at social media, I was like, man, these people are just posting whatever thought pops into their head. <laughs> like, if you did that in person, nobody would want to be around you anymore. <laughs> um, and so that, to me, was kind of like a an eye-opening thing. I don't post very often, except for pictures of fish and trees, but... Like, like that was interesting to me to like realize, wait a minute, this is not something this person, cause it's like a 40 year old person who just commented on a news story, I think. And I don't even know that person. It was just like in my feed and I was like, why would somebody say that? And then there were like 10 other comments that were just like that. And I was like, these people are not filtering, you know? And that's, that's the same thing we see with Gen Z in social media use. And it comes out as cyberbullying sometimes, but teaching them how to, um, discern online interactions in the same way that we would discern face-to-face, yeah. And I would just piggyback on that. I think we're not teaching them to actually know to have real conversations because they're not seeing that model. Yeah. We're not having people in their own because we yeah. just interact with them on Facebook. That's true. Or we're not engaging with people in ways that they are actually seeing the model. Yeah. Because if they don't have social media, they have no idea mm-hmm. what's going on. For sure. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm going through that stage where I'm, like, integrating my kids back into society, and it's really right. hard for me from homeschooling. Yeah. And so, when I went to go to the Kenny tour for Noah, and they were talking about how they have this wonderful social and emotional curriculum, and for me, as a homeschool mom, that's, like, red flag. I'm like, no, you're not teaching my kid, you know, social justice stuff, whatever. Yeah. So, I talked to one of the teachers that I really trusted in PSD, and she was like, no. It's not like that at all. We're having to teach kids how to have conversations yeah. because they're not learning it at home. We're having to teach like communication basics mm-hmm. because we're having kids come into the school system who have no idea how to say anything to their peers because yeah. of technology. So it's a real issue. Yeah. That was two years ago at Winter Peak. The most popular class was literally called How to Have a Conversation. And the kids loved it. And it was just like the youth minister from Boulder Valley, just like him and one other youth minister got together and were like, 
we're going to teach kids how to have a conversation. And that's what it was. And they had conversations with adults and other teenagers. And that's how they had the class. It was just like, and it's like, we, we might think like maybe that's not a biblical class to teach at a retreat or whatever, but it's so important. It's like a foundation for having biblical conversations that you can have a conversation. Yeah. And that goes into like giving, forcing teens and kids into the space of no screens, right? Because like the more, because even when they hang out with each other, like I have 10 or 12 pictures of youth events where all of the teens are sitting next to each other, Snapchatting each other on the same couch. (laughs) And I'm like, you guys, you're right here. Talk to each other, you know? Um, But like enforcing that is definitely going to like make them realize like, wait a minute, when I, when me and my friend like, follow and unfollow and follow and unfollow and block and follow and, you know, like over and over again, that's probably not a healthy, like, way to have a friendship. Right. You know, I should change my that, way to do that. That goes beyond this age right now because we were at her parents, like, it was like 10 years ago. Yeah. Her, her grandfather and me are the only ones that are on social media. Yeah. And everyone was texting each other in the room. Like, <laughs> Kim and I just looked at each other like, this person would laugh, this person would laugh. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, and you know, they're from like yeah. 50s to... Yeah, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a like generation, like it spans the generations, the epidemic of oh, okay. communicating <laughs> via the, the this thing, but... But, but it's worse for kids' brains are developing. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit different. And you never know that there's other ways. Yeah. Right. Better ways, better ways. But the parents now are portraying them. Yeah. But we're, we're, we're giving them the example. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I'll go ahead and wrap it up. And we, we have like several more slides, <laughs> but we'll, we'll get that another week. But also just I'll leave you with this. I have a good friend who um, like repeatedly calls this his little rectangular pocket God. And just like that'd be a thing to think about. Like, cause it does like it dictates our actions a lot. And uh, I think we need to like be careful in letting our kids see what what dictates what we do and let and and teaching them how to like appropriately engage with this thing so i'll go ahead and pray for us and then we'll be done Uh, father i just thank you for um some some great discussion god and just um the chance and the opportunity to to get together and brainstorm and talk about how we can better um, equip ourselves to reach um, our kids and and just better understand um, your will for our kids um, thank you so much um, for all the parents in this room and for um, just their desire to lead their kids to you. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.